Hello, in this week's show, climate wars and how the UN Refugee Agency is trying to help the world's most vulnerable communities. A Covid tsunami alert from the World Health Organization's Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus and Security Council condemnation for gruesome killings in Myanmar. Plus, an end-of-year message of solidarity and hope from UN Chief Antonio Guterres, while Brecht's Mother Courage sets the tone for closing comments from regular guest Solange Bertegui-Cortez. That's all coming up in the next 15 minutes or so on UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva with me, Daniel Johnson. First, the news. This is a news in brief from the United Nations. In his end-of-year message, UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres has urged greater solidarity between and within nations to overcome the moral and real-life tests facing humanity today. These include deepening poverty and worsening equality, climate commitments that fall short, and conflict division and misinformation, Mr. Guterres said in a video statement from UN headquarters in New York insisting that it was possible for the world to unite behind solutions that could benefit all people, the UN chief said that recovery should be a resolution for 2022. Recovery from the pandemic, with a bold plan to vaccinate every person everywhere. Recovery for our economies, with wealthier countries supporting the developing world, with financing, investment and debt relief. Recovery from mistrust and division, with a new emphasis on science, facts and reason. Recovery from conflicts, a renewed spirit of dialogue, compromise and reconciliation, and recovery for our planet with climate commitments that match the scale and urgency of the crisis. A tsunami of COVID-19 cases is likely to put further pressure on exhausted health workers in coming months, the head of the World Health Organization, WHO, has warned. In a scheduled UN Health Agency briefing on Wednesday, Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus urged world leaders to walk the talk on vaccine equity by making a New Year's resolution to vaccinate 70% of their populations by the middle of 2022. This virus will continue to evolve and threaten our health system if we don't improve the collective response. Right now, Delta and Omicron are twin threats that are driving up cases to record numbers, which again is leading to spikes in hospitalizations and deaths. I'm highly concerned that Omicron, being more transmissible, circulating at the same time as Delta, is leading to a tsunami of cases. The WHO Director General once again stressed that unvaccinated people are many times more at risk of dying from either variant. Earlier in the year, WHO challenged the leaders of the world's biggest economies to vaccinate 40% of their populations by the end of 2021. To date, More than 90 out of 194 member states have missed that target. Myanmar in the spotlight now and condemnation from the Security Council after the reported killing of at least 35 people, including four children and two humanitarian workers in Kaya State on 24 December. In a statement on Wednesday, the Council called for accountability and the immediate cessation of all violence. Credible reports suggested that four children were killed in the latest incident, including two 17-year-old boys, a teenage girl and another much younger child. The two humanitarians worked for non-governmental organizations Save the Children, which confirmed their deaths. UN Children's Fund, UNICEF, also condemned the killings. UNICEF Regional Director for East Asia and the Pacific, Deborah Komini, insisted that the protection of civilians and especially children and aid teams 
must be treated as a priority during times of conflict. This is in accordance with international humanitarian law and the Convention on the Rights of the Child, to which Myanmar is a signatory. Mihika Acharya, UN News. The headlines there, and now to this week's interview with the UN Refugee Agency's Special Advisor on Climate Action, Andrew Harper. When I spoke to him, he was fresh from the climate summit in Glasgow, COP26, where he was pretty underwhelmed by what he saw as the lack of commitment from wealthier nations towards poorer countries, which are on the front lines of climate change, and which have next to nothing to defend themselves with. We went into COP with probably realistic expectations. We're we're always hoping for the best, but prepared for the worst. And I think given the fact that we're representing tens of millions of people who are displaced, who are on the front lines of the climate emergency, we probably didn't come out of COP with anything which would be that reassuring. And so we have to really start preparing for the worst. And given that 90% of the world's refugees originate from countries on the front lines of the climate emergency, what we're already seeing is those countries who, due to no fault of their own, are already experiencing two degrees global warming. They're already doing what they can to put in place mitigation, adaptation, preparedness measures. Can we maybe talk about those quickly? Uh, One in particular, you highlighted the case of Mauritania, where people are keen to do something to push back, keep climate change at bay, but they have to do this with their bare hands. Why is that? Well, Prior to COP, I I had the opportunity to visit Mauritania, and Mauritania is one of those states in Africa Africa who have been particularly generous to hosting refugees. But Mauritania in particular is accepting refugees coming from Mali. And so we went to the border with Mali in order to assess the conditions, see what support could be provided, and also see what messages we could take to COP, like have a reality check to the politicians and negotiators there. And so from Mauritania, we went to Scotland and we discussed the issues and we talked a lot, but I really don't think people were listening, unfortunately. And if they were listening, there was no real appetite to take the action that was required. But what we did see in Mauritania was that you had probably very clear examples of what the future holds for many populations around the world. You had populations communities who had survived on fishing or herding for generations who could no longer survive in the areas which they where the communities had been brought up and they'd had to move within the Sahel and the Sahel is is that part of uh, northern Africa where many pastoralists um, uh, live and the groups that we were talking to were were fisher folk and they had moved from one lake to another lake but each time they moved to a different lake those lakes dried up and they started moving into areas where there'd been conflict until such time that they could not move within Mali and they had to move across the border into Mauritania. And so the Mauritanians had very generously provided them with sanctuary and access to livelihoods there, but the lakes that they were visiting also were drying up. And so it was while they were able to escape the conflict and violence in Mali, they couldn't escape the violence of of an increasingly hostile climate. And so that was the message that we were taking back to Glasgow and to COP26 that the reality of climate change, the climate wars is already happening and we need to be doing something about it. But what was also really enlightening was that when we were in Mauritania on the border with Mali, that there were these bushfires breaking out. But in these locations on the border with Mali, 
you had refugees working with local communities, using their bare hands with no resources whatsoever, no hoses, fighting the fires just with nothing. And it just represents what a lot of these countries are attempting to do. They're doing as much as they possibly can with the limited resources that they have. And in many cases, it's nothing, just their bare hands, just the willingness to confront dangers and perils, which are, again, not of their own making. And all they're asking is for support and what they're and pleading, just don't make the world any more difficult for us. And that's what is just so disturbing is that the discussions and the decisions and the commitments that come out of these events, such as COP26, do not really provide a degree of confidence or, or substance to the people who need it most. Right. So maybe you could tell me what the UN Refugee Agency is doing on the ground to help the people with projects that are going to put them on track to find ways to resist uh, climate change. We have been trying to build up the resilience and, and support preparedness measures. We have been looking to see how we can reduce the destruction of the local environment by providing renewable energy so people don't have to rely on firewood. We have been trying to um, plant trees in order to compensate for those that are being cut down. But just the resources that are being made available just do not match the increasing needs. And I think the we will continue to do whatever we can with our partners in support of the governments and communities. But if the science and the data that we're seeing on a daily basis is to be believed, then we, the international community really has to step up. If this was a war situation, which it basically is, there'd be huge engagements by donor states in order to support preparedness. But we're not seeing that. And I think also one of, one of the disturbing issues are is that, um, is that the challenges of climate change are being, are being felt very much today and have been felt for probably years now in these states that are hosting refugees. And you've got more developed states who are saying, okay, well, it's not really impacting us yet. Uh, we've got the capacity to adapt. Uh, we'll be okay. You're not going to be okay. Everyone is going to be impacted. We're just basically kicking the problem down the road. Can you maybe then finally tell me what it is that the UN Refugee Agency thinks we should be doing to boost climate finance and support people's resilience and countries' resilience and adaptation to climate change? Well, it's worth noting that those countries who are hosting refugees are by and large the least responsible for the world's global carbon emissions. Meanwhile, you've got the G20, which is responsible for over 80% of the world's carbon emissions. So you've got countries, whether it be Mauritania or Bangladesh or Jordan, who are saying, look, we're not only helping out the world, we're not only doing the right thing by those people who have been forced from their homes, we're also being impacted adversely by climate change. So how is this fair? Where is the climate justice here? Where is the issues in terms of loss and damage? And so there were discussions about $100 billion being provided for adaptation for countries being most impacted. There was also discussions about trillions of dollars being at the behest of uh, foundations and funds which could be used for energy, environment and adaptation projects. But when you're actually talking to communities on the ground, they're saying <laughs> we're not seeing any of it. You talk about billions, but we're not even seeing thousands of dollars. Where is this? And so until we actually address this disconnect between the discussions that are taking place in capitals around the world and the COP26 events, then the reality 
or making a difference on the ground is, is going to be, remain a mirage. And so that's what UNHCR and our partners are trying to do. We're trying to do with as much as we can with very little. And we're also trying to ensure that those governments who are continuing to question the, the commitment of the international community to support them, we're fighting several fights at the moment. We're trying to maintain this global protection regime, but at the same time, we're trying to ensure that those countries who are doing the right things and who are fighting back with their bare hands the impact of an increasingly hostile climate, they don't suffer any more. My thanks to UNHCR's Special Advisor on Climate Action, Andrew Harper, for that powerful testimony about the massive frustration felt by developing countries at the lack of solidarity they feel from richer nations in the battle against climate change and adaptation to our warming planet. Now let me turn to our regular guest, Solange Berdegui-Cortez, who's with us again for her personal take on this apparent stalemate. Hi Solange. Hola Daniel. I'd like to start by reading the last words of Anna Fierling, whose nickname is Mother Courage, in Brecht's play of the same name. Here goes. I hope I can pull the wagon by myself. Yes, I'll manage. There's not much in it now. I must get back into business. The main character and the title of Bertolt Brecht's masterpiece. The play takes place during the Thirty Years' War, and Mother Courage wants to make money from the war, but the war takes her children away from her. When Mother Courage utters these famous words, she has just lost her daughter. She left her daughter's corpse with villagers, and she decides to continue trading. For Brecht, she has learned nothing. Once again, she has lost a child while engaging in business. She understands nothing of what has come to pass. Today, I know that some countries are making big efforts in the fight against climate change, but this is still not enough. Not everybody is doing their part. Some governments are acting like Mother Courage. Climate change is happening now, and its effects are devastating, but they continue doing business as usual. Daniel, we must learn from the multiple crises we are experiencing. Migration caused by climate change could be controlled if countries reduced their greenhouse gases, corrected development gaps, restored their ecosystem and helped people to invest in adapting to our changing climate. Andrew Harper from the UN Refugee Agency rightly asked the question, how much more suffering and how much more vulnerability do we have to add to the world before people wake up to the crisis that the climate crisis represents? The United Nations is helping people to adapt, to build strong resilience, to support prevention, but the results will only be good if we pull together. Thank you, Solange. If there's one thing we don't need, it's another pandemic. So let's resolve together to make sure that the climate crisis stays on our radar in 2022 on UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva. There are solutions for vulnerable communities and the UN is behind many of these fixes, as we will endeavour to find out next year. 
that's it for this week though so let me wish all of you listening to the show the very best for 2022 i guarantee that we'll have even more important stories from the un and its partners in the next 12 months including next week's which will be coming from northern yemen with un migration agency iom do join us for that if you can but until then don't forget to check out un news for daily stories and bulletins that's it then bye bye for now Thank you.